Well, hello, Harvest Community Church. How are you? Good. If you're a first-time guest, my special welcome to you. We love having you. Um, everyone here who's not a first-time guest was. <laughs> and that's how we get folks. So we're happy you're here to visit. We pray God will bless you today. My name is Mike, if you didn't pick that up yet. And now I'm going to get started, but first I want to wish you guys a happy new year. I know, it's late. But on New Year's Eve, I was in India. Actually, I was in India like when you were asleep. Well, no, it was the middle of the day. They do New Year's Eve all wrong there. They do it nine and a half hours before we do. And obviously everything America does is right, so they must be doing it wrong. Thank you for laughing at my joke. One guy. (laughs) Humor is dangerous business. You can get hurt doing it. But I did want to remark on something that I couldn't be here to remark on, is that in 2019 we had a year of Bible reading, and we had a lot of people in Harvest who, who covenanted to read through the Bible in a year, all using the same plan or a similar plan. Did you guys know my dad in, in Atlanta did it too? No, he did it completely on his own and got through the whole Bible. And, and for those of you who did... Um, well done. Keep it up. Someone said, are you going to do that again? Well, every year we should be reading the Bible, but I think it's, uh, it can lose its specialness if we all emphasize it at the same time. But I do want to say a special message for those who started and didn't finish. Some of you made it a month. Some of you made it three months. Some of you made it six months. What I want to say to you is well done. Well done. Now, you may be thinking, wait a minute. There's people who got all the way through the Bible. I know. But you read half the Bible. That's pretty good for a year, right? And now you can relax, go back to that same plan, take your time, and just finish without the pressure of the time. The Word of God is always good, and the discipline of reading the Bible is good, but we always must remember we read it for pleasure because we get to know how good God is in it. The goal isn't just to mark time, but actually to meet God. God reveals Himself in His Word. So I'm proud of you as a church for 2019, your Bible reading. Um, a small group started this in 2018, and they really got the ball rolling. We, uh, most of you are in Indiana, and you're hearing me say this now, so thank you, but well done all. Now to the message for today. If you have a Bible, we're, we have two texts, not one. Matthew chapter 5 is where we'll go first. Um, the subject is persecution of Christians. Which, as Americans, we, we generally think that's not a thing, or at least we used to think that's not a thing. And we may make the mistake of not realizing that persecution is the norm for Christians in human history. No people in the world have been as abused, persecuted, jailed, beaten, killed as Christians, with the, with the exception of ethnic Jews, And there's a reason why those two are related. We're not going to talk about that today. But throughout history, when the church was born, it's amazing the Christian church exists. It started in the Roman Empire as a very small movement of Jews who believed they'd met the Messiah. And it had oppression very quickly from its own mother, from from Judaism itself. It It had fighting from within to try to change its teachings, and it had pressure from without, as the Romans, as you probably heard, quickly saw Christianity as a revolutionary force, an enemy of their state, because they would not bow to Caesar. 
And, and so it had a, it's amazing Christianity lasted. It was, you know, they fed Christians to lions and they really did that. Nero um, uh, actually at one point put a bunch of Christians on stakes around his backyard and lit them, put pitch on them and lit them on fire and then had a, like a banquet, a cookout, if you will, with our people uh, burning right there. And, and that went on for several hundred years till Rome fell. But the church didn't fall. But that doesn't mean that, that persecution stopped. It's never stopped. The forms persecution takes as first governments will often persecute Christians. You might think, well, that's really a thing of the Roman Empire. It's really not. Uh, wherever there are communists, there's persecution of Christians. You can't have communism or socialism without persecuting Christians. I don't know why. They just go together. Probably because they're atheistic. Um, uh, whether you're talking the, the billion people of China, the people of the USSR, the people of Cuba, the people of Vietnam, uh, all these communist places. But it's not just them. Not just do governments, but another group will persecute Christians, and that's relig- other religions. As you may or may not know, uh, uh, if the founder of Christianity was a man of peace. <laughs> Though some people have gone to war in his name. It wasn't his idea. He never raised an army. He never even... Um, uh, raised a fist as far as we know and, and yet the founder of Islam was a war chief and Islam called a religion of peace was founded by people who, who took over by the sword and in the 8th century and the 9th century they, they swept through North Africa and killed every Christian burned every church and said you will be Muslim or you will die that, that obviously really happened <laughs> the Vikings came down and uh, started killing all the Christians in Great Britain, when it was then, until he killed enough of them, and then the Vikings started to get saved themselves, and Scandinavia became Christian. <laughs> but then you have not just religious persecution and government, there are let's call dead Christians who persecute Christians. People who aren't really Christians, who get in charge of governments, have been known to slay Christians. One of the biggest enemies of Christians in Russia today is the Orthodox Church which is supposed to be Christian, but they don't like Christians who aren't part of their church, and they'll take their property, or they'll, they'll oppress the people there. Uh, obviously, uh, the whole 1500s and 1600s and, and 1700s had the churches of Rome and of England killing preachers. The great John Bunyan was jailed most of his life because he wouldn't preach in a way that the Church of England said to preach. So the People call themselves Christians will persecute Christians. But the way that's always constant is personal. Individuals are often lose friends, family, jobs. Um, you can get persecuted at school. You can get persecuted socially. You can get persecuted as a job. Um, America has been blessed. <laughs> and so we don't realize the level of persecution, I don't think, until now. I think Americans are starting to go, wait a minute. People are treating us like we're second-class citizens. We're getting edged out of popular culture. You won't find one of us, if you send your kid to college, which is probably a waste of your money, especially if it's a liberal arts degree, and I'm not joking, that is probably true. You shouldn't do it. Um, they, will, they won't have, don't worry, they're not going to have a Christian professor. The odds are very slim. There's a couple, but they purposely edges out of culture, they edges out of Media, the edges out of entertainment. Everyone liked Chris Pratt till they found out he was a Christian. And um, now people make fun of Chris Pratt. That's the way it goes. Books are openly antagonistic against us. We, 
We have famous people who say we've got to go. The sexual revolution is turned against Christians. Um, there are uh, there is already people who are losing their jobs because of their stance on gay marriage, even though it has nothing to do with their jobs. CEOs who have to quit because of their stance on gay marriage, of all things. It won't be long, I think, till you see many big enlightened corporations just start to fire people if they don't use the correct pronoun for a man who says he's a woman or vice versa. Uh, we've already seen the, the cake bakery stuff. The world is gaining power and turning on us. Why is persecution the norm for Christians throughout time? The answer is, to be a Christian is to change allegiance. You left the world. The Bible says we are not of the world. In fact, to be a Christian is to be against the world. So if you're here today and you're thinking, well, I think I'm a Christian, or maybe I want to be a Christian, I want to make sure you understand the stakes. You've got to quit the team that you've always been on and join Team Jesus. (laughs) And the other team may not be happy. There's a Latin term um, that was coined centuries ago, and people used to like Latin more. Contramundum means against the world. And that's what we are. We really are a revolutionary force, though we don't do it with guns. We really are insurgents. We really are. um, uh, We're from the enemy's camp. Uh, The world is under the dominion of Satan. People are fallen. God, who is seeking to redeem, sent. When he he saves us, he says, okay, now you're going to infiltrate the camp. (laughs) You're my, my, uh, what do you call it, double agent. Uh, You're already there. They already know you. And now you switch teams. You're on my side. Now they're going to try to get you. You try to get them saved. That's going to be the deal. In, in uh, the letter of 1 John, John says this sentence, Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. Do not be surprised. If someone hates you because you're a Christian, don't be shocked. Now there's, many people receive you as you let them know about Jesus. That's good. Because I think there's a principle in the scripture, I'm pretty sure, (laughs) that if people receive Christians knowing they're Christians, they're actually moving closer to the kingdom of God. But there will be people who will not tolerate you, people who no longer like you. I could give you many stories in my own life in good old America where individuals and relationships in jobs, in college, in family became very difficult because as an adult I became a Christian. Jesus said this, and this is not yet to our text, but to establish the fact that we are going to be persecuted. John 17, Jesus said to the Father as he was praying about the apostles, I've given them your word, and the world has hated them because they're not of the world, even as I am not of the world. To join with Jesus is to join a countercultural force. And if you say, well, I don't want anything to do with that, I think religion's nice. I'd like to add it to my life if I can keep the rest of my life as it is. If that's you, I want you to know you don't want Jesus. This isn't your place. You're in the wrong place. Now, I would counsel you against that because the world is against God. And if you had to choose a side, you'd say, well, I don't want to choose a side. I want us all to just get along. Thank you, Rodney King, but we can't. 
Because the world is naturally against God. We are sinners. I'm naturally against God. I'm naturally pretty pro-Mike. People like to say, Satan made me do it. I, I'm, Satan does never, give, never gave me new ideas. I always had the ideas. He was just my cheerleader. I think, I'm going to go do this because it gives me pleasure. I don't care what it does there or what God thinks. And Satan was there, rah, rah, Mike, go. That's all he had to do. I'm like, well, good, I got some encouragement. Let's go do this thing. We are rebels against God. We are self-destructive people in a self-destructive society. We're blasphemous, hateful to God, and we do not care. We scoff at people who say what I'm saying. That's the way it is to be mankind. I wouldn't choose that side because God is holy. And he made us in his image and he values us very much. Therefore, he will take our sin very seriously. And there will be a reckoning. But on God's side, <laughs> when he washes us clean of sin, we're to uphold his holiness. The, the, the beautiful picture of baptism is not of water washing you cleansing clean of sin, although I'm sure that's a good metaphor for that. It's, it's, it, is, it is rather the death of your life. To be baptized is to say, I'm dead. Just like Jesus died. And then I rise, but my life is not my own. It belongs to Christ. And when that happens to you, as the Bible says, when you are born again of the Holy Spirit, you've switched allegiances. So what's going to happen in America if things continue to erode? I can't help but remember Jesus when he speaks of his return to earth and talks about how lawlessness increases and the love of many grows cold and many who are so-called Christians turn away from him for fear of man. And he asks this question, when the Son of Man returns, will he find faith on the earth? Let's make this very personal. When the Son of Man returns, will he find faith in you, in me? Jesus speaks to the subject of persecution in too many places. Just like last week, we talked about death. For those of you who are visiting, you missed a winner. (laughs) We talked about death. But God is encouraging when you see what he has to say. But there's way too much to talk about. This one, there is still way too much to talk about. But I've chosen two passages where Jesus talks about persecution so we can hear straight from the Son of God. One is Matthew 5, 10 to 12, just three verses. Verse 10, ready? Here we go. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed, or you're better off, or you should be happy that. That's what blessed means in this case. You should be happy because you're going to be better off uh, uh, if you are persecuted for righteousness' sake. That word persecuted is, is kind of uh, n- neutral. It's safe. I should say safe there because behind persecution could be emotional pain, physical pain, rejection, beatings, death, all kinds of things. And he says, well, that's a good situation for you if you're persecuted because you follow Jesus. Why? And and here we get the insight into the way our thinking needs to be and the way our thinking needs to change when we become Christians because it's proof of your citizenship. I'm a citizen of the United States, love the United States, raised as an army brat. I stand up, I take off my hat, I put my hand on my heart, and I sing along 
to the national anthem. And I don't care if the rest, some people there scratching themselves, looking around, talking, burping, leaving their hats on, and I'm just singing. And that is, we have the, the absolute worst melody for a national anthem if you want people to sing along. Who the heck can hit those? And the rock is red glare. But I'm doing it because, baby, I bleed red, white, and blue. But before that, I am now a citizen of heaven, and that's more important to me. Because as much as I love this country, nations rise, nations fall. But I am always a citizen of the kingdom of God. And if that means I have to take a beating, Jesus says, be happy. Verse 11, blessed are you when others revile you. Who here likes to be reviled? <laughs> reviled? Some of you people lose, your, lose your, your mind when someone just says something not nice to you in a Facebook comment. How do you think you're going to handle reviling? <laughs> Blessed are you when you're reviled and they persecute you and they utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Think about this. To be persecuted can mean that people are lying about you. As I heard last week, um, and I'm not talking about the politics of it, just the, the, the social normalness of it. Hillary comes out and says, about Bernie Sanders, nobody likes you. And I'm thinking, mean girls, this is what, I have daughters, this is what they do, girls are tough, you girls are tough, boys just, you fight it out and then you move on. Girls are like, me and all the girls don't like you anyway. And it hurts, doesn't it? And they lie about you. And he says, good situation. How many of you feel good about that? I don't like being lied about. Verse 12, he says, rejoice and be glad. Oh, my goodness. He's telling you something that doesn't go with what he just said, isn't he? I'm not glad that people persecute me. I'm not glad that people revile me. I don't like it when socially people are, as a group, putting me down, lying about me, hurting my reputation, and I didn't do nothing wrong. I'm not glad. He says, well, cheer up. Make this a happy day. <laughs> it's like a birthday party. Do, do you see the irony of this? He says, rejoice and be glad. And then he gives his reason. For your reward is great in heaven. This is a radical shift of thinking that every Christian must make. Many Christians never make. Many people who think there are Christians and go to church, they never make it because they're not Christians. But a lot of Christians just live a miserable life because they won't make this shift in thinking. That earth is not my home. Earth is not, the only way I can rejoice and be glad about a reward in heaven (laughs) is if a reward in heaven looks better than happiness on earth. And that's not natural to me. And it's not natural to you. We've never been to heaven. We've been here. We like it when the sun is shining, the birds are singing, everyone loves us, and all is good. So to be a Christian requires you to make that shift. You may say, once again, well, I don't want to make that shift. Then you don't want to be a Christian. And if that's where you are, I would pray for mercy, that God gives you insight into the beauty that is him. So you repent of that foolishness. When persecuted, he says, you're joining the prophets. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You share the reward of great 
people. <laughs> and you can't help but think of Joseph, who, was, who was, did nothing wrong. His brothers beat him up, threw him in a pit. Instead of killing him, they did the, well, they thought, this is better. Let's sell him as a slave. As a slave, he tried to perform real nice, and then somebody tried to get him to sleep with him, and he shouldn't have done it. He knew that. He did nothing wrong. Next thing you know, he's in prison for years where he's forgotten. <laughs> well, who wants that kind of life? <laughs> he says, rejoice, because you're with that guy. Daniel always did it right. What did it end up, you know? Here's some lion's dens for you. Jeremiah the weeping prophet. All he did was tell Israel the truth and they kept throwing him in a pit. Isaiah preached for 40, 50, 60 years just to have himself sawn in half. How's that for a retirement plan? Which leads to a question. Why does Jesus allow his own people to be pushed around when he has the power to stop it? Why does he allow his prophets to be thrown into fire and cut in half and jailed? Why do they have to hide in caves? If he has the power to stop it, (laughs) and why do I got to take a beating if he has the power to stop it? The answer is I'm not exactly sure because he doesn't tell us. But he doesn't leave us in the dark. One thing he makes clear is he shares our suffering. Jesus, the Son of God, took on flesh and walked among us, was called a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. And because God wanted to save us sinners from our sin, he took the one perfect man, and the Bible said, it pleased God to crush him. He was mocked, he was reviled, he was beaten, (laughs) he had hair pulled out of his beard. Oh my gosh. I haven't had a beard that long. It seems like the worst way to get rid of beard hair. <laughs> he had people spit in his face. And all the pictures, the, the crosses are way up high. You're like, hey, there's Jesus up on a cross. But in reality, German, or, um, German <laughs> Roman crosses, they didn't work that hard. They didn't waste that wood. It's too much engineering to get a guy way up high. They put you right here. Boom. You might have been that far off the ground. That's it. You could walk up to Jesus and spit in his face of the Son of God. And he let people do that. And he suffered in a way that none of us can imagine. He took the sins of all of us on his self and died. So we know God shares our suffering and that's how we get saved. Unless he dies for sins, you can't have your sins forgiven. Well, what if I'm a good boy or girl? Won't work. You're still a sinner. He paid the price and he owed nothing. And it took suffering. His his prophets had to suffer. And then when he came, he suffered too. And if you're going to follow him, so will you. His 12 apostles. Oh my goodness. Some people poorly reason that the apostles made up the whole Jesus story. Which, by the way, if they did, they should be called geniuses. Because they thought up a story that revolutionized the whole world. That changed the world. (laughs) That's pretty smart. But second of them, how come they didn't break ranks? If there's 12 of them, well, they lost one right off the bat, but then they replaced him. Then there's 12 of them. You'd think if they made this story up, they would not have died as they died. Because every one of them, with the exception of John, who was tortured a lot, was killed for their faith. 
jailed for their faith, impoverished for their faith, beaten for their faith, heads lopped off. There's nothing like a head lopped off to humiliate you and ruin your day. Why does Jesus have his people suffer? I don't know, but I do. I can guess some things. In a world of pain, salvation requires suffering. We know that. And Jesus suffered for us. But how about, what is the value of the pearl of great price? And the pearl, of, Jesus said the kingdom of God is like a man who's a merchant and he, he uh, finds a pearl that's so amazing to him that he sells everything he has and he buys that pearl. It's a silly story because no merchant is going to sell all his inventory and everything he owns and his house and everything to buy one pearl that he's not going to sell. But he does because it's the most wonderful thing. It's worth everything to him. The apostles proved to us that the reward of Christ was of greater value than their lives. And they couldn't have done that without suffering. Right? And that's one thing true of us too. Now you can follow those losers on television. Losers like Joel Osteen, he's a loser. He's a, when I say he's a loser, I don't think he knows Jesus and I don't think he gets anything later. Because he says, if you go through this life with Jesus, you're going to be blessed. I heard him tell a story years ago. He walked into a, a, like a Verizon phone store and the blessing of the Lord was so much on him that they didn't just give him a phone. They gave a phone for my wife and for my children. Hey, stupid, you are a, on national TV and you told that story. They can't buy that for free. It wasn't the blessing of God, dum-dum. You say, you're being hard on him. He's lying to you and telling you that following God will make the world bless you when the apostle John says, don't be shocked if the world hates you. So you have a liar and you have a truth teller or Ken Copeland or all the rest. What does Paul say? Indeed, 2 Timothy 3.12 All who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. I guess he didn't watch T.D. Jakes or Creflo Dollar or none of those dudes. Then he could claim his prize. Suffering for him is part of our ongoing salvation. But that doesn't mean God wastes our sorrows, doesn't join our sorrows, or doesn't care. He cares. He cares so much that he's going to give you payback. And the payback is much greater than you deserve. Jesus is the best retirement plan because the benefits are, should I say it, out of this world. (laughs) But it's not fair. You're never going to earn what he's going to pay you living for him. You could give up everything you have in your little bitty life and you will live for millions of years with more riches, more amazement, more joy, more happiness and the very first day in heaven you'll go, I don't care what I did there, it wasn't worth this. I think you're overpaying me. And you'll go, nope, that's how good I am. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. 
How great? So great that you can be happy here suffering for him. The true value of suffering and persecution is not realized until you get to heaven, which is why you must shift your brain. That doesn't mean the Christian life here doesn't have joys. It has many joys because you have Christ. I did a sermon last week on death, and I never enjoyed myself more. Because only a Christian can seriously tell a joke on the gallows because he knows he's got it beat. There's joy here, but there's pain here, and a lot of the pain comes simply from following Christ. Well, if you don't love being a part of the kingdom of God. (laughs) All right, second text. 2 Corinthians 4, 16 to 18. From the apostle who probably gave up the most physically. He was the wealthiest, most prestigious of all the apostles. He was the 13th one. He came late. (laughs) He, um, He gave up all his power, all his prestige, most all of his health, definitely his home. Gave up family. And he says this in 2 Corinthians, nearing the end of his ministry. He said, so we don't lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. All those creams and and treatments and facelifts and whatever makes you young, Paul would never buy those. (laughs) He said, I'm wasting away anyway. But what's he saying? Look, Paul was stoned to death once, but he wasn't dead. After they left, he got up and walked away. Now, we don't know if that's a miracle or <laughs> he was beaten with the cat of nine tails many times. He was shipwrecked. He had a lot of physical maladies. He's been in cold, hard jails. And here in 2 Corinthians, as he's getting older and older, his body is racked. We can imagine the scars he carries. We can imagine the arthritis from every broken bone that's been healed. We can imagine his body shows the physical decay marks. He gets up in the morning and goes, looks in the mirror worse than yesterday. (laughs) But his spirit is a newborn every day. That's what he's saying. But in my spirit, I'm good. Now, the reason we should listen to Paul, well, we should listen to all the Bible writers, but on the subject of suffering is God allowed Paul to see heaven. Now, you might have heard of books from liars who told you they've been to heaven and wrote you books. Um, They're liars or they're deluded because heaven, Paul Paul got to see heaven and and, and because of that, he had to suffer. God gave him a messenger from Satan, a thorn in the flesh that tormented him all his life. Why? So he wouldn't be proud. So he's actually seen it. He got the advantage. Well, I've never seen heaven. I think it'd be easier for me to not worry about suffering if I saw heaven. And if God said, okay, you can see heaven, Mike, but it'll make you a deal. You've got to go through the same pain I put on Paul for seeing it. I'd say, you know, I'm going to take it by faith, God. <laughs> this whole thorn in the flesh, messenger from Satan, tormented. No. So he's not at this point talking as someone who has no reason for his hope. He says, I'm renewed day by day. In verse 17, he says this. For this light, momentary affliction. (laughs) All the affliction he's talking about is all the affliction he's taken. And if you've ever read the book of Acts, you know he took a lot. 
and you can read it yourself, (laughs) is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all. Light as in not happy, heavy. Not, not, he's not talking light that comes like from the sun. He's talking about not heavy. And and he's, he's saying this light is, is inconsequential in its weight. So if you think of scales, if all your life was scales and you put the happy stuff on one side and the sad stuff on the other, he's saying all the things I've suffered is a grain of dust. It doesn't even weigh down the scale when I look at what's on the other side. That's what he's saying. But look at this, look at this um, verb. This, I guess it's a participle. If you're good with grammar, you can correct me later. He says, for this momentary, light of momentary affliction, here it is, is, it's a verb to be, preparing, a participle, is preparing. What is that, how does, how does the affliction relate to the verb here? Affliction is the noun. How does that, that's a subject, how does that relate to the verb? The affliction is doing something. Well, what's it doing? It's preparing a weight of glory. So that little bit of dust that is his whole life and all his suffering is actually preparing something on the other side of the... In other words, the other side of the scale wouldn't have the weight of glory if he didn't have this little dust up here. The two are related. When I get beat, glory. <laughs> when I get shipwrecked, glory. When, they, when, when I'm in, in, in Jerusalem giving money to the poor... Uh, and, and all the, the, the Jewish leaders start to beat me up, and I get arrested. <laughs> it's a little dust. Boom! The glory in heaven gets heavier. It doesn't matter when they lie about me, when they make fun of me, when they stone me. It doesn't matter what they do. It's just a little dust. Boom! It's preparing or causing to happen the glory that I will know there. Which means when Paul knows when he gets to heaven, he won't look back with a single regret on all that he suffered for the name of Christ. Rather, he might even say, why did you take it so easy on me? Look what I get. I couldn't think of any earthly illustrations for this. The closest I could get is having a baby. If you like your babies. Right? Woman's pain, claustrophobic feeling comes in. I can't get out of this now, can I? Nope. (laughs) And uh, screaming, if you don't have an epidural, have an epidural, ladies. That's just my advice, but what do I know? I'm a man. Who said amen over there? Amen. When I say I'm a man, your mother says amen too. I want you to know that, Jesus. She goes, amen. Yes. But as soon as the baby's there, the pain is forgotten. The reason I don't think that compares, but it's as close as I can get, is you get the greatest treasure physically that you can get in life, a human. But you have to go through this pain. And... A mom, moms will tell you, unless they just hate their kids, that was worth it. doesn't compare. But it's not a flake of dust. <laughs> the reward still isn't good enough <laughs> to, to, to meet what Paul is saying. This momentary light affliction, every bad thing I went through in my life, boom, glory. And then he says in verse 18, 
Oh, and he says it's momentary. Momentary. He means his whole life. We don't know how old he got to be. Perhaps in his 60s, perhaps in his 70s at the most. His whole life he's calling momentary. Think about it. The most time of your life is not lived here. That's just the first second. You live there. You might say, well, I ain't content living there. I want to be happy here. Then this ain't going to work for you. He said, well, I go to church. I'm a good Christian. No, you're not. You're either not a Christian or you're not a good one. Because you don't live by faith. And you say, well, I want that. Good. Ask God to give you. I mean, I don't know why I love Jesus. I really don't. He, he inflicted himself on me when I was almost 20. And he became the most important thing in my life. And I don't know how it happened. So if he's not the most important thing in your life, just ask God to make him that way. Verse 18, he goes on. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Um, so you have things that you can see. That's everything, right? That's transient. In other words, it's, 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 like, a, it's like a car driving by and it's gone. The things you cannot see, they last forever. So when he, he says, I'm not invested in the stuff of this world because it's dust. <laughs> Gone. You know, I've been thinking recently, March 1st, I will have been at Harvest Community Church for 15 years. Now, <laughs> okay, I have like four cousins here and I love you all, but <laughs> here's my point. It feels like six months of my life. It's 15 stinking years gone. If the next 15 goes that fast, and I think it'll go faster. This momentary life is gone. But glory is eternal. As we look at the things, not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient. They go. Hope, you know, faith, hope, love, these three, this is where hope comes in. I have hope because no matter what I suffer here, it's going to be worth it there. That's called hope. And it's not hope as I hope it's good. No, it's hope as in I know it's good. So I have the strength to live joyfully in an insane and deranged world today. We endure, we carry on. The foolish and immature can't wait for anything. I want it now. Okay, okay. Did you hear about the entrepreneur went to an urban place, got a bunch of young men, taught them all some principles of money and investing, and then he gave them all 100 bucks and he said, go, at the end of the session, the, the, the training. And then he took, them, he took them to a store where there were shoes and a mall. They all went in and bought a new pair of shoes, except one. And they all came back together and said, what'd you buy? And they all showed the shoes, and they were all proud of their cool shoes. The one guy had his old shoes on and said, what'd you buy? He said, I bought a stock <laughs> in that shoe company. <laughs> he listened. He said, you got the shoes, but now you're paying me? The, the immature are impatient. Well, that, that's just your shoes. <laughs> the stakes are much higher. This is your real life. God has promised you glory forever. And you say, well, I want it now. 
I want to arrange my life now so I get what I want now. I like getting high now. I like being hedonistic now. I like these sexual things now. I like my pride now. I like my career now. I don't have time to be sidetracked and become a Jesus freak. Fine. You get a pair of shoes that wear out. Even the good parts of life are transient, you know. Even, you love to date because you're young, go out with old men. It's going to be harder to get those men in a few years. Men, it's going to be harder to get those ladies because you're just going to look like a creeper now. Esau came in hungry and his brother had made stew and he goes, I'm starving to death, give me that stew. And his brother, who was a sneaky dude, said, look, I'll give you this stew, but you've got to buy it. I don't have anything to buy it with. You can let me starve to death. I'm your brother. He goes, tell you what, sell me your birthright. Let me be the firstborn. Let me have the first inheritance. He's like, why do I care about inheritance? Give me that soup. Sells his birthright for a bowl of soup. That is what it is like to not choose Christ. This choice came to a pastor named Lewan Andimi. And you can Google this guy if you want. Remember Andimi. And, the word and, and then I am I. A couple of weeks ago, he was taken captive by Boko Haram, which are some Islamic dudes over in Nigeria, and made a video. And you can see this video. And on the video, they're asking for some ransom, and, or would you convert to Islam? And he has this beautiful video that really shows a good Christian testimony. I don't think English is his first language, but let me read to you some of what this man said, this brother of yours. He said, I've never been discouraged Because of all the conditions that one finds himself is the hand of God. By the grace of God, I will be together with my wife and my children and all my colleagues. But if the opportunity has not been granted, maybe it is the will of God. Don't cry, don't worry, but thank God for everything. A few days ago, his head was lopped off because he wouldn't convert to Islam. Just happened. This stuff happens all the time. He didn't have to die. He did not have to lose. His wife lost husband. He didn't have to lose his wife. His kids lost their dad. Didn't have to lose that. He didn't have to lose his home. He didn't have to lose his health. He didn't have to lose his freedom. All he had to do was say, sure, I'll go with Allah. All he had to do was give up something he didn't have now anyway, heaven. What's wrong with this man? Is he nuts? No, he's seen the pearl of great price. He says, I like what I got here, but I know what I got there is way more valuable. I'm not giving it up for anything. Even your life, even my life. That is the minimum standard commitment for the Christian. And if you say that's not my commitment, You're not a Christian or you're a bad one. This is a good world. God made it, but it's broke. And you say, well, I don't got to face that. I'm on earth. Maybe I don't have to really be bold for Jesus. I don't really have to stand for him. But 
if they ever, if I'm ever there and, and it's Jesus or death, I'll take death. No, you won't because Jesus taught us this principle. The one who's faithful in little will be faithful in much. If you can't handle a little beat down from a family member, if you can't marry someone because her parents want a different kind of wedding, if you can't, if you can't take a little bit and you got to sell out what you know is right so other people will accept you because it's just a little thing, you'll do the same thing if you're on a guillotine. The message here, (laughs) Christian, is I don't know what the future holds, but I know this world is hostile towards you if you love Christ. So-called Christians will say they're hostile towards you if you love Christ. And if you stand on him, you're going to look, you're going to be called dark ages, backwards, you're going to be called immoral, you're going to be called a bigot, you're going to be called hateful, it could be that some of you will lose your jobs, you could lose professorships, you could lose all kinds of things. Family members can write you off. What we need is to check our attitude. And that's the whole point of everything I've been saying today is to get us to say, what is my attitude? Do I have that pearl of great price? Do I have Christ? Do I look to heaven? Or is it really what's most important to me is what I get here? Is it Jesus or nothing? Everyone's getting tattoos these days. I'm not going to talk about tattoos, but that'd be a good one. Jesus or nothing. Put it right here on your face. It'll be harder to get a job, but... (laughs) Okay, if somebody really does that, nobody yell at me. They're just dumb. That was a joke. (laughs) You say, well, how, how do I respond? Well, the text gave us the answers. Let me review. Do not be surprised, brothers. Don't be surprised if, you're, if what you believe causes people to not like you, that the world hates you. Second, rejoice and be glad. That's a decision. I'm not glad when people talk bad about me. I feel bad. I may not look it, but I'm a sensitive little guy. <laughs> I know, I don't come across that way. But you can hurt my feelings. It's an attitude change. Okay, it hurts. But dang, little dust here. Boom! More reward there. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. And don't lose heart. Never quit, never quit, never quit, never quit, never, never quit. For this momentary light affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. I want to end with Peter. We want to examine our hearts, test our attitudes, and ask God for mercy to give us his point of view. Do you have God's point of view? Think about Peter. Peter, in, in, in John chapter 21, John wrote the gospel of John probably near in the 80s. Like, not 1980s, but 80s. <laughs> Just 80s. And Paul died around 60, or Peter died around 64, because he died under Nero, who ended his reign in 68. So, John knew how Paul's life ended, and he told this story in John 21. Peter, Jesus said to Peter, after saying, take care of my sheep, he said, truly I say to you, when you were young, Peter, you used to dress yourself, you used to go wherever you wanted, but when you're old, you're gonna stretch out your hands. People figure out, was he stretching them out like this? Or was he stretching them out like this? You're gonna stretch out your hands, 
And another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. And then John says, this is John 21, 19. He said this to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to Peter, follow me. So, Peter, so John, seeing what happened, from the, he was there at the time and he's telling you now that it's over. I heard Jesus say to our leader, Peter. <laughs> Peter, James, and John were the big shots. I heard him say to him, when you were young, you could come and go as you please, but that's not how your life ends. Your life ends with your arms stretched out and someone else doing it to you. And he was talking about his death, and then he said, now follow me. Would you follow a man who just told you you were going to be executed for following him? I would if it's Jesus. So Peter was imprisoned for his faith. And someone decided, someone in Nero's gang decided, maybe Nero himself, we don't know, he needs to die like Jesus. Let's stretch out his arms and put him on a cross. He said, I cannot die like him, I'm not worthy. Turn me upside down. And so the great apostle was turned upside down, nailed to death. A few years before that, he wrote this to you and me and all the church. He said in 1 Peter 4, Beloved, don't, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you. It comes upon you for your testing. Don't be surprised as though some strange thing were happening to you. <laughs> but to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing. So that also at the revelation of his glory, you may rejoice with exaltation. If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed. Did Peter listen to his master? If you are reviled, blessed are you. Because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you're hated for the sake of Christ, in small ways or big ways, it's because the glory of Christ is on you. And the end... And everyone else is in the power of the enemy. And you're there to help them out. (laughs) But that doesn't mean they won't hate you. What's your attitude? Check your heart. All in for Christ? Christ or nothing? Or Christ, but I'm going to have to have a few caveats. Because if it's the second, that ain't Jesus stuff. That may be American church, but that ain't Jesus Thank you for listening to this sermon from Harvest Community Church. We invite you to join us at any one of our four campuses located in Catanning, Petrolia Valley, Indiana, and Freeport. For more information, check us out on the web at harvestpa.org.